Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. Welcome to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. Thank you for joining us. I have a special guest today, Dr. Stephanie Vavilala. Did I say that correct? Absolutely did. Oh, yeah, because I had to practice it a few times because, you know, the last <laughs> time I, do, I have to just tell you, I got married in February and I went from a last name. I was born with a last name no one could pronounce. Then I got married and I thought, yeah, I have a last name people can pronounce. And yet they still didn't. Um, and then I just remarried. And so now my last name is Goodman. You can't mess up Goodman. So, and people can, I've never had to spell it and I love it. So, um, well, thank you for joining me. You guys reached out to me because you also work in the autism community, but you are in Florida. And we were just teasing momentarily because when we first started chatting before we started recording, it was beautiful. You had some nice palm trees behind you because you're on your patio. I could see your pool. And then in the span of minutes, a torrential downpour came and it was, you ended up moving inside because just the noise of the thunder and lightning and all the rain, but it was just incredible to watch that transpire just in the matter of moments. So why don't you tell us where you're from? Because as I indicated, you were in Florida and you're enjoying a Florida storm right now, but go ahead and just let us know where you're at. And then um, a little bit about your educational background, because it is very diverse. Yes. Thank you. Well, I will say as I've moved inside, it's now stopped raining. And Are you kidding me? Out again. So that's Florida weather. <laughs> so, I'm still a little jealous. I'm still a little jealous. Exactly. Exactly. Well, the pool got filled up a little bit and we got free watering on the grass. So I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm actually originally from the Midwest, from a small town called Moberly, Missouri, and um, never really liked the Midwest. Sorry, Midwest listeners, <laughs> but I like the, the beach and the sunshine. And so I needed to come a little bit further south for that. So I moved to Florida and I've been here about 22 years, I would say now. It seems like it's it's home because I've been here for yeah. so long. That's a lifetime. Um, yeah. I'm sure Anna's not cringing too much. Anna, my assistant who's listening in, she's our, our production manager. She is actually from the Midwest and she left the Midwest also, but she came to Washington state and as opposed to Florida. So I'm sure she'll give you a thumbs up that yeah, Midwest <laughs> is like not that awesome. So, right. so now you're in Florida. Tell it whereabouts in Florida. Uh, so we live in St. Augustine, Florida beautiful historical, um, you know, town. It's like a small town, but it has a lot to do. There's a lot of diversity here, a lot of culture, a lot of history, a lot of local, just cool, you know, local people that, you know, make local honey and jewelry. And it's just, it almost has sort of a small town feel, but like the conveniences and all the diversity of a, of a large place. So yeah, love it here. So originally Uh, you were a licensed, you're, 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 you are a licensed mental health counselor, but you have branched out so much. You have evolved a lot in your professional career. Um, so how many years were you a licensed mental health counselor? So as a licensed mental health counselor, probably 10 years. And that's what I thought I wanted to do. I had started out, you know, working for companies, getting my license. I had started my own practice, um, had about 25 therapists working for me in two locations. And I was like, yay, like, 
here's my career. I had gone back to school and got my doctorate in education with a specialty in organizational leadership. So I had some leadership skills to run a business and to, you know, kind of back up being an entrepreneurial. Um, and then I had my daughter, Savita. <laughs> and so um, when she was born, I had conversations with her doctor because as a licensed mental health counselor, I was also um, a registered play therapist and supervisor, which means I'm highly specialized with working with typical developing kids um, with mental health you know, illnesses. And so I knew what typical development was. I had never really worked with special needs kids, but I knew that my daughter wasn't developing as a typical child. And so and at what age did you have those concerns? Um, that was about one, honestly. I just started kind of noticing just, you know, a little bit of the little flapping, you know, some rocking, things that weren't because I wasn't in that world. I just knew that that wasn't really typical, but it didn't steer me towards like, oh my gosh, red flags of autism. Sure. But I was like, some, there's something developmental here going on. So I had a conversation with my doctor and he's like, you're a therapist, you're paranoid. I got that too. And I was, exactly. Oh. Gotta love this doctor. Yes. So and I needed like, to, yeah. Yes, I had to check yes. myself because I was projecting on my child, apparently. Exactly. Right. Exactly. That's another passion project of mine is like educating these doctors about these things. But so anyway, so she, you know, is like, he's like, you're just paranoid, you're a therapist. And then, right, it makes you as a parent start questioning yourself. Well, I am a therapist and maybe I'm being paranoid. My husband and I went through five years of infertility, six rounds of IVF and three miscarriages before I had Sabita. So paranoia and worry and anxiety were like my everyday life, you know? So it was like, okay, yeah, maybe I am. I'm just looking, we've struggled and I'm going, oh my gosh, now this is like another struggle kind of thing. And so I had that conversation with him a couple of visits. And then I was finally like, you know what? Like I'm, you know, if they put her in speech, they put her in OT. And, you know, she still wasn't really talking. She had fine motor issues, those kinds of things. And then finally, when she was two and we went to her two year checkup, I, you know, they had they actually screen, which is interesting. They screen with MCHAT. <laughs> and, you know, so I'm answering the questions and I was like, oh, my gosh, she has autism. Like she met all the things. So I go in there and I was like, hey, she, and he's like, but, but there's an interview part of it too. It doesn't just go on the questions you answer. And he was like, so she's pointing to her iPad and she's making good eye contact with you. And I said, but that's not what the questions are. Like, so he even then was trying to talk me out of giving her an autism diagnosis or referring her. And I said, you know what, at this point, like, you know, we can agree to disagree, but I'm going to have my doctor, uh, my daughter evaluated. And so yeah. it was then then I went and I had my daughter evaluated and of course she got the diagnosis and I went back to him like one more time. Cause I just wanted him to like understand, like yeah. these are, this is what you're saying. And like, you might feel really confident about it, but like, we can't go back a year from now when you told me that she didn't have autism, you know, obviously, you know, we're able to now um, get diagnosis earlier and things like that. But like, this is like a year now that we can't go back. And I need you to know that that was part of your like influence and in trying to talk me out of a diagnosis. It wasn't going to hurt to have her evaluated. And if she yeah. had it, she didn't, you know? And so he was like, well, yeah, okay. And just honestly, just like brushed it off and was like, okay, what shots does she need? And I'm like, time for a new doctor. <laughs> and so when I talk to people now, our clients and things like that, that come to me and they're like, gosh, they just keep like blowing off. And I'm like, you need a new doctor. You, yeah. you are the best advocate for your child, medical degree, no medical degree, 
you are mom or you are dad and you have those instincts and the intuition and don't ever let, I don't care who it is, someone try and talk you out of that because it's never going to hurt to get evaluated and not get a diagnosis. No. <laughs> but it to not have the diagnosis. And then, you know, five, six years, whenever that it actually happens to say, oh yeah, well, we tried to get that, you know, five or six years ago. It's just, oh yeah. Heart. <laughs> it's so true. And actually my doctor actually tried to tell us that, oh, there's no way this child has autism. This is for my oldest son, Isaac, who would be 18 now, but it's because, well, look, he makes eye contact and he's affectionate. Yeah. And so that's what we're using as our criteria for deciding whether or not we need a referral. And I also went back and I did challenge him too. And I said, you know what, you know, with everything that we know about occupational therapy, speech therapy, um, play therapy that helps, that works on, you know, joint attention, different aspects, has that ever been known to even hurt a neurotypical child? Right. No. So even if we're just being preemptive and we're like, we see some delays, we're not comfortable necessarily saying autism, but there's never going to be a time where early interventions is ever going to be like, darn it. Why did we do that? You know what I mean? So absolutely, It'd be like, that was a waste of time. Cause like, yeah. like you said, all kids can use help with fine motor sensory exactly. integration, speech, articulation. Yeah. Like it's not Emotional regulation, all the things. Exactly. Right. Just, yeah, if we focused on that a little bit more, who knows where we would be just as if we took that approach for all children. So your daughter received her diagnosis, but you weren't done yet, correct? <laughs> Not done yet. No. So she got her diagnosis. I came home, you know, told my husband she was working and I said, this is the diagnosis. And I cried for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. Like, what's our life going to be like? And like, this is over. And like, I, God, like what? Like we struggled to have her. And now like this, like, what is this about? Like, it was just really, really frustrating. And, but I'm the type of person that, which is interesting because it's a mental health counselor. Like we're like, yes, it's important to vent and like <laughs> grieve and get those emotions. But for me personally, I was like, there's no sense in like complaining about this or venting. Like I need action. I need to figure out how to help my daughter in the only way I know how. And because I had so much education behind me anyway, it was like, okay, education is knowledge to me. And that's been helpful in other avenues of my life. So let me go back to school, you know, and in essence, you know, take the certification courses for the BCBA and then took that back into uh, my work and was under supervision. So I was literally like, in my company, supervising people getting their licensed mental health counselors. And then I was being supervised myself <laughs> to get my BCBA. So here I was on like the top of the totem pole for one and like barely even a step up on the other. And so, and there's a lot, you know, there's a lot to it. But um, as we were, you know, talking a little bit earlier too, it's like, I almost came with, you know, knowing that I was going to learn a lot more as a parent than I was ever going to learn going to school yeah. um, for it. But I wanted, like I said, school was just a comfort for me to say like, oh, this, this is knowledge and information and it can help you be successful and um, in different ways. So I got that. And I was just like, this is, a, you know, amazing because you can't be a licensed mental health counselor to your child. <laughs> There's ethical issues <laughs> with that. And you shouldn't be helping them with their emotions, but you can be a VCBA to your child because you're applying all the principles of ABA in your parenting and in your interactions and all those kinds of things. So now here I had like a degree, but I also had like, oh my 
my gosh, I can use this in like everyday life and merge those two together and just started taking in everything that I could and learning everything that I could and seeing yeah. other kids. And that's when I really realized like I heard again, I didn't have a lot of knowledge about kids on the spectrum before I had Sabina, but I always heard like, it's a continuum. They're so different. And I'm like, how can they be so different when the DSM is like, they have this and this and this, there's a certain criteria. They can't be that different. And then I started, you know, seeing other kids and I was like, whoa, really oh, different, you know? Yes. Oh, so, so much. Uh, mm-hmm, yeah. Like it's just totally different. And my daughter didn't have like the behavioral stuff. She had more of the communication deficits, you know, being nonverbal and things like that. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> how, how do I deal with that? You know, as a mom and, you know, as a therapist and as a VCBA and just, but then seeing like, oh my gosh, that is such a like unique talent and something like so amazing that this kid can do that like no other kid, you know, can do that. It was just the beauty and seeing the uniqueness and the differences in those kiddos um, diagnosed with autism. So, so then you move, then you decided that you were going to start your center. So you're the CEO and founder of Therapeutic expressions, correct? Yes. So we had, I'd had my, um, locate, I had two locations where we had about 20 mental health therapists. And so I got my BCBA and I was like, we need to provide services because I know when I was seeking services for Sabita, how difficult it was in finding, you know, a good company, you know, that understood that she was so young and she had never been in daycare. She'd never been with anybody. Like I rearranged my whole schedule because I'd gone through, you know, infertility and all that, that I was like, all I want to do is be a mom. So I really took a step back um, in my company, then stopped working with clients and just kind of did like the admin. But I was like, we need to add these services. We need to be out in these homes and the schools and the communities where I had a hard time finding services. We need to provide those services. So we added that to the company when I became a BCBA. And so that's been about five years, I guess now. And so as my daughter, you know, she hired, went to a private school at first. And it's very, very difficult with a child that has autism with education in general. And then you add the nonverbal piece of it (laughs) and it creates a whole nother uh, dynamic that's really challenging because most teachers or um, individuals that are trained for education with nonverbal are like in the deaf, you know, community. And so they're using sign language and they're, you know, doing those kinds of things like these AAC devices and using those kinds of things or just doing things without any sort of voice output or sign language output. It's like, how do you know what these kiddos know? And so we kept getting in a situation where it was like the teacher, like, didn't know how to, you know, bring out what she knew. And we knew that she, you know, was smart. I mean, she was very, very young. It was like, we could say, go get Ariel and have all the princesses out. She'd crawl over and get it. So we knew that she had some, uh, you know, not a, a severe deficit academically, aside from, you know, the autism and what that brought, but we knew she had the ability to receptively, you know, her receptive language was very sharp, but her expressive language was what was exactly developing. Yeah. So, so I quickly learned, like, I'm going to have to like have a specialized teacher to come and work with her that knows how to work with someone that is on the spectrum, nonverbal. Um, and then someone that's using a device instead of sign language or no, you know, language at all. And so I had brought on her teacher that she had in the private school for one year. That was amazing. And it just so happens, I don't know your religious <laughs> um, taking or anything like this, but she was like a godsend brought down to me. Her daughter is two years old than my daughter. 
who has autism and is also nonverbal and uses the same communication. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it was like, oh, thank you, Lord. Here we go. And so she's been, you know, working with her and she is so amazing. And we're trying to pave the way for education for these nonverbal kids, because it's like I said, it's just, there's not a lot of resources, you know, even when Sabita was coming and getting her VPK, the standardized VPK assessment didn't account for nonverbal kids. I'm like, how can we have a, you know, a standardized assessment that doesn't have a nonverbal aspect for disability when we know that there are a good amount of kids <laughs> that come out of VPK, whether they're delayed speech or whatever the reason is that need, you know, some sort of that. So, so anyway, that went on, you know, for um, a while, she, you know, had her in the house and stuff. But I just really, over the past year, started realizing, of course, there was COVID, right? <laughs> Can't be on a podcast without mentioning COVID and the effects of like the social and all of that. Um, so true. But yeah, but we, I was like, you know what? I need a place for my daughter to go to get all of her therapy, all of her education, social interaction, vocational skills, music therapy, art therapy, like everything. Like I need like a little slice of heaven right here for my daughter and all the other kids like my daughter where they can come and get it all. Um, and so that is what sort of brought the idea of the autism wonderland together was that I needed to have a large enough space for all of that. And I needed my daughter to have a lot more social interactions, peer groups where we're teaching typical developing kids how to interact with kids on the spectrum and make it where they really like enjoy that. And they want to be like friends of the autism community and things like that. So we're raising, you know, our kids with more diversity and compassion and empathy and skills to be able to work with individuals that are autism is only a growing population. (laughs) Um, And so we need to make sure that, um, that our next generation is prepared for that. No, not only our kids, but like, all the other typical people that they're going to be interacting with in their life. That's incredible. So let's talk a little bit about the autism wonderland. So when you talk about it being an autism therapy center, some of it is a component of private education where they're actually academically going to your center as opposed to public education. And it's an inclusion model is what I'm hearing where you actually have neurotypical and special needs kids in the same learning environment. Correct. So the kids with autism will come and receive, you know, all different services, and then we'll have some neurotypical kids that are coming to be support, whether it's learning social skills in their AB during their ABA therapy, whether it's um, helping with um, one of the programs that we're doing is we're doing a baking program and teaching kids how to make cupcakes and then selling those cupcakes to the community so that they can learn, you know, what I love, entrepreneurship skills, <laughs> learn how much, what do you need to make a cupcake and how much does it cost and how much should you sell it? And, you know, just being able to go up and say, do you want to buy a cupcake? You know, those kinds of skills that these kids need. So the neuro typical developing kids can come and be a part of that to help facilitate that, to help guide that, to help be there for that support in those types of programming, whether it's education, therapy, social, or, you know, if they're cooperating and doing like a project together, that kind of thing. Again, it's a benefit for both the kids. Yeah. So the kids can get speech therapy, occupational therapy, ABA within that, your autism center. Yeah. Speech, OTPT, ABA, They'll get music therapy, they'll get art therapy, um, baking therapy. (laughs) Nice. And what's the age range of the kids that are going to be able to be in the program? That's a 
really great question and something that we're kind of uh, trying to figure out right now. Our goal, or shall I say my personal goal, is to make it to fit the needs of my community. So right now, we're really trying to assess what are the needs of my community. I have a nine-year-old, so I'm well aware of what the needs of a nine-year-old female nonverbal child on the spectrum needs, but I'm not as um, versed now with like some of what our younger you know kids need. And so we're doing surveys, some assessments, some conversations, leaders, parents, uh, doctors, those kinds to say, what is it that's really out there lacking? And then how can we provide that support? So that's the beauty of creating something, right? From the, from the bottom up is yeah. that I don't have to say, no, it's just nine-year-olds like my daughter. Who knows? It could end up being two-year-olds when they're first diagnosed, or it could be 17-year-olds, you know, that need more vocational training. Like, we have the beauty and the ability to assess what those needs are and try and develop programming for what fits, you know, the majority of individuals, as well as maybe, you know, specialized things that like maybe only this 17 year old, you know, kid needs this, but nobody else is going to provide that. So what can yeah. we do to assist with that? I don't want any child left without services. And I just think it's important to have that access to, you know, the community and to things like that. How many kids will you be able to have in your autism wonderland once you get it fully? Um, well, operating? it's about 9,000 square feet. So it's huge. <laughs> um, so it will depend on really the capacity of the programming and the staff that's there. We don't have a specific number that we know like, oh, this is the number that we can, you know, fit per se. But we do know that we'll be able to serve, you know, a large amount of individuals. We'll probably envision having two different types of individuals that will be there. One will be like my daughter who's homeschooled and getting some home education as well as her therapy there and other services. And then we might have some kids that go to a traditional school or a private school and then come in the afternoon to get social skills and the baking and the, you know, the art and music, those types of therapies. So that's really in my mind, what I'm envisioning. And like I said, I know that there's a lot of other kids that are out there that don't have any resources are very yeah. few. So I want to hear from those parents, you know, to say, look, this is what my child needs and there isn't. How can we collaborate and work together to provide these services? Yeah. So it sounds like you really want to be supported and be able to support the needs of all the entire spectrum, meaning that those that are not functionally verbal and then those that actually are, you know, quote unquote, high functioning or you know, maybe more minimally impacted by, um, you know, various aspects of autism. So you can adapt it. So it's really supporting the individual differences of all individuals and you want it to be span the age range too. But so it sounds like you're opening it this summer. Is that right? Yes. I'm supposed to have control <laughs> the building by August 1st. That's what's in all the papers. So we're working, we're doing surveys now and appraisal and, you know, inspections and all that fun, not so fun building stuff while we're developing programs and doing outreach to see what's needed. But the goal is to have it launched before school starts to, or to coincide kind of with our schools around this area, which is around like August 10th in one district and, you know, all good, like the next week or so in another so that parents know that they don't have to send their kids to regular education. Like we can accept the Garner scholarship, you know? And so we want parents and kids to have an alternative when school starts rolling around, because I'm sure you're aware a lot of people's schedule is much different in the summer than it is, you know, in the school and there's after school programs and things like that too. So we want parents to see that they have a choice and what they can do for their child on this 
spectrum and what options are there. So that's our goal is to have that so that when parents are making those decisions over the summer, that we can provide that, that programming for what their child needs. Very cool. How many kids do you think you'll be able to open with then? Um, I'm hoping that we're going to open with at least like 25, 30 kids. Um, and I think that's probably more, of uh, the kids that are there more during the day kind of thing. And like I said, we, you know, have art therapy group that maybe, you know, 10, 15 kids and, um, run a couple of those along with, you know, music therapy class. That's the same kind of thing. So in the building all at once more long-term will sort of be, I think around that 20, 30 range, but, after school weekends, again, when we start factoring in parent support groups, sibling support groups, that starts right to expand, you know, the services, not just from that individual, but we could have one child that has five family members, right, that come to the center and get something that they need related to their child's diagnosis. So then their reach starts expanding. This is amazing. People always ask me, um, oh, Isaac Foundation needs to, you know, like expand so that it's available in other places. And what's wonderful about this is that it doesn't sound that we like we have to because a lot of the things that you're talking about are similar things that we do because we do parent support we also have a very extensive sibling support program and and that's the thing it's the wraparound services for the entire family because as you know and as you've alluded um, and our podcast always hits this is that autism does affect the entire family every aspect of a family um, changes when you're supporting that loved one that has an autism spectrum disorder just you know there's you know social needs educational needs extracurricular needs, you know, just even going out to eat in a restaurant is different when you have a loved one that has autism because you have to take different things into consideration. So that's why I love hearing about other um, programs out there that recognize that it really has to be a family approach. So you talked about your family connection programs and you guys have the most adorable name for your, your mingle group. So you want to talk about your, your, I'm not even, I don't want to ruin it for everybody because it's just, it, it cracks me up. <laughs> Rolls off. Yeah. So we have a special needs mom support community called Flamingo. Um, <laughs> Flamingo. I love flamingos. Um, and so I have a lot of them and I just think they're fun and colorful and unique. And I just like I your spirit them. animal. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, although it's really hard to stand on one foot for a long time, so true. <laughs> they do, but they're amazing, beautiful, unique, you know, creatures that like to stick together and have community and it, be in a flock and those kinds of things. So I had one of my best friends got me for like a holiday, like two flamingos, like next to each other and their arms around each other. And it said, let's flamingo. And she was like, I saw this and I thought of you, I thought it would be great for like a program that you want to do. Cause she helps me out doing like some marketing and things like that. And I was like the special needs mom, that's it. The Flamingle. And so it was born out of that conversation with one of my best friends. And I think it just really sticks and is representative of just like every kid on the spectrum is unique. Every parent on the spectrum is unique. And I think that's, that's true. Really and where everyone is at any given time as a licensed mental health, mental health counselor, you were, we, before we hit the record button, we were talking about like grieving when you, your child gets diagnosed with autism, there's a grieving process. And that's the wonderful thing about our, you know, our parent support activities. We have a mom's group and that's exactly it. Everybody comes and they're at different places of just, you know, like acknowledgement, acceptance, um, where they're grieving. And it's different. That's why we have to have a separate group for the dads because it is different. Dads grieve differently. The order might be different in terms of how each person grieves. And so, um, 
And that's why I think there's a real benefit because, you know, you'll have one mom that's just, you know, like rock solid. She's just such a great information. She has a great source of information for a lot of different families. And then that same mom can come back the next time to our parent support night and they're destroyed because they are at a new place where, you know, they've hit that that bump in the road where they're the ones that need that support. And sometimes it's not that you necessarily need an answer to someone. You just need your tribe around you that understand the challenges and the frustrations and the disappointments that you have when you're raising a child that's on the spectrum. So I think that's very cool. How many parents do you have in your Flamingo? So we've just done a couple events. Um, So it's not um, we haven't done like a membership type program. We've just had the community events where they come, um, go to a restaurant, hang out, get to know each other. Again, part of that was my mission this year. Um, cause I just started it was to have a stronger community of special needs moms, because I, you know, like I said, I got that diagnosis and I started doing all this that I was just like on my own path. And, and then I'm like, wait a minute, like, it would be nice to have some support here. And then all that I've learned and all that I've been able to help, you know, as well, turn that around and and give that back. So you always, right. You always get more than you give when you meet people and you work with other people. And so that was to something that we're still assessing. Like, what are those needs? Like, do we need to have these for dads? Is that what's needed around here too? Do we need moms? Dads are a tough one. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's why yeah. I started moms. Cause I'm like, I'm a mom. I get that. The dad thing, not so much. Yeah, no, that's smart. I think you're smart. Um, dads do like getting together, but we find that there has to be an activity that has to be there like trivia. So our dads get together and they do trivia night. And um, it's not that they don't talk about autism, but they're not like women that need to talk about it, to just hash it out there, put all of those feelings and frustrations and just heartache out there. Um, men, you know, suffer a little bit more in silence and where they tend to struggle is where, you know, men are wired that they need to fix things. And, you know, as we know with autism, it's not something that's a quick fix or that necessarily needs to be fixed. It's that understanding and accepting individual differences, la, 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 la. So, um, for dads, they're a different animal. And so you definitely need to plan an activity for them. <laughs> trivia is something that they absolutely love to do. They like it. It's, yeah. but it's also, there's a, lot, a fair amount of downtime that they can still talk if they need yeah. to and want to, but you know, it, they're, de- it's definitely an interesting difference between the two groups. So, so that's yeah. wonderful. Now you also, um, Isaac foundation, you call it the, your warm hug box. Um, we have something that's somewhat similar, um, but talk about this that you're launching. It's your warm hug box. And, um, it has, your hope is that it's going to have some different resources in it for families who are getting that diagnosis. And it's kind of that I call, we call our, our welcome, um, welcome to the tribe kit. <laughs> Um, what we send out. We also periodically do mom care packages when we just know that there's moms that are really struggling and just need to be known that, you know, they just need to feel like they're loved and seen and, you know, acknowledged for the work that they're doing and that, you know, we, we value them. So talk a little bit about your warm hug box. So my goal and this, I'm very like, um, spiritual and, um, religious when I went through infertility with my daughter, like it really shook the core of my Christianity and all those kinds of things. And I kind of pushed it to the side and then just have been in like special needs mom mode, you know, kind of thing. But it's just been recently that through some uh, just different spiritual practices, I love going to the salt spa and I lay there and like, seems to be, (laughs) I can just put everything out of my mind and like God speaks to me and things like that. And so 
in, I had an experience in a salt tank about just my arms sort of wrapping around like the world and the community and the, the autism community. And so I was like, I have to do something with this. <laughs> what am I going to do? And so one of the things that um, we were talking about earlier, just with diagnosis in general, is that doctors need to be educated more. And how can doctors give this diagnosis? And then they don't have any resources like, okay, go figure it out. Go to autism speaks that, you know, or good luck kind of thing. And like you said, there's so many nuances of autism, whether it's countywide, uh, citywide, statewide, that not all of those resources are there. And it's so overwhelming getting that diagnosis. And you think you're all alone and you think it's the end of the world. And you think all of these, you know, crazy things when really like, thank God for women like you and women before you that have really paved the way for more resources to be known and to be brought to the surface. So again, my daughter's nine, like there's so much more than when she was nine, you know, or when she was born. And there's so much more that when, you know, our kids that are now turning teenagers on the spectrum were available when they were born. So there's, there's been a lot of amazing people that have really paved the way again for creating resources and these conversations and podcasts um, and things like that so that we can be connectors of people. And, and what they need. So my goal was I wanted when a, when a parent got a diagnosis of autism, I wanted the doctor to hand them this lovely <laughs> invitation <laughs> to a warm hug box to say, hey, here's here's a support. It's out here waiting for you. Here's your resources. You know, all you have to do is, you know, call them. And so and we're there. And it's not necessarily just here's the box with all these amazing resources that are around here, whether it's, you know, something that I found out pretty recently in our county is they do scent kits. And I don't know how many other counties have it because it's a recent, but you can literally have the police officer in our county will come to a special needs child's house and rub their scent and put it in a jar that if they're ever lost, the um, dogs go in there, they smell their scent and they go off. How amazing is that? It's a free, it's a free program in our county. My daughter's nine. I'm just now learning about it. And unfortunately she doesn't elope and things like that too. But I don't know that I ever would have thought that anything like what that was possible. We also have safety bracelets, you know, here that they'll come out, put on free of charge for the kids, you know, that do elope. So there's so many reasons. I so wish that we could keep those bracelets on our (laughs) kids. Do you have the ankle too? Like here they have an ankle, a wrist, just. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We have some Houdinis. It won't, doesn't matter where it is on their body. We even have ones that are like a belt where they go around, like, you know, their Uh waist. Yeah. I'm telling you, it is still an adventure trying to keep them on our kiddos, but. That sounds like that could be a passion project of yours. You could develop. I've got a lot of passion yeah, projects, but I, I, I'm going to leave. Yeah, I'm going to leave that sort of techno. I'm not a technology person. I will let that on. Okay. I'll leave that to someone else. Okay. But well, anybody out there listening, if you yeah. need a passion project for kids on the spectrum, there you go. Get these things to stay on. Um, but so we'll have that. But it'll also be like, hey. You want to come tell your story? You know, let's talk about it. What do you need? Like, it's not just like, here's a box and here's resources. It's like, here's a heart, you know, from my heart, you know, as a mom that got, had that diagnosis with my child to you as a parent, um, just 100% real. <laughs> um, and this is what it is. And, um, and that's just something that I wish I would have had when I got that diagnosis. And um, I think a lot of, pe- it, it would benefit a lot of people. And as 
since it's something you're doing, you're fully aware, I'm sure, of the power of just a little box, a little coupon, a little, oh my gosh, they have sensory night at the movie theater. I can take my kids there on Tuesday and they can run around and scream and it's okay. Yeah, guess what? We have that in this community. Um, So just sharing those and taking the burden off, like you need to grieve and you need to spend time with your child and you need to kind of like figure that out. Let us do all the research, all the boring stuff, all the (laughs) things like that and just come and have like, here you go. Here's a nice, you know, paved road here for you. Let's hold your hand and help you along that journey and be able to support them, you know, throughout that. Because again, like we talked about your needs as a parent change when your needs as a kid's change, you know? So, um, that is so true, which leads me to the last thing I want to talk to you about, because you had something exciting launch yesterday. I did. So I'm actually a published uh, children's author, <laughs> which I never thought I would ever say. Um, I'm not the biggest reader or writer. You could ask my mom that. I prefer, tend to do more active stuff with my life. <laughs> and so I, when my daughter was diagnosed and we started the journey um, with all of her services, it became pretty apparent early that the uh, verbal aspect was one of her biggest challenges. And so I had to find a way for her to communicate what she needed. And as a therapist, right, that was super important to me that she had a voice and could express her wants and needs and emotions and things like that as well. And so um, started, you know, doing some research and getting into that world and found, you know, these um, AAC devices where kids had an alternative to their communication And my daughter could ask for things that she wanted or needed, and she could communicate with other peers and say hi to them and answer what her favorite color was and all these things that were like not available to her before. Incidentally, what is her favorite color? (laughs) Her favorite color, I like to say is pink. Sometimes she gives me purple, but we know sometimes gets purple. Yes. So I'm actually in her room since I moved from outside and it's pink. So this pink, is- I, I was wondering about that because I was like, I see your backdrop there. And I'm, and I you have, you know, so that's why I was going to ask. Uh, no, she, she loves pink. I'm a girly girl. And so she's like, I think a girly girl too. Some of the times I'm like, I feel like if she ever like, or when I always say when she's going to talk, because I believe that she will at some point, there's no pressure. If she never does like, that's fine too. But um, as a parent of a nonverbal child, you know, I'm never going to give up hope that it's just, it, it just makes life different when you can actually have a voice. So I always say she's going to be like, I hate pink. <laughs> and she says something, I'd be like, no, but you always said it on your iPad. And her be like, well, I said it because I thought you wanted me to say it. Yeah, right. I, have, I have these conversations in my mind between her and I yeah. about what she would say if she could, but I'm, um, I'll stick with pink now. So okay. but it was just amazing to, to see like how now she had a voice, you know, and she didn't before. And so, you know, it's been now, I had said probably a couple of years ago, like when we would go to the grocery store and we'd be waiting at the thing and I'd be like, say hi, Sabita. And, you know, the cashier would be like, oh, is she on there playing games? I'm like, no, this is her voice. <laughs> like I was, became really aware of the fact that like not a lot of people are aware of these AAC devices and um, how kids can talk through them. They see kids with iPads all the time and they think they're just playing, you know, or whatever. It's like YouTube um, or something, right? Yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, I need the world to know <laughs> about this. And so that's when I said, you know, at one day I'm going to write a book about, you know, how we all do. I'm going to write a book about this. I'm 
going to educate the world. And that's yes. it. so um, one day became the beginning of this year. <laughs> that was like, no, this is happening this year. You're going to write this book. So I wrote a book. It's called Sabita Finds Her Voice. And it's the journey of her um, finding her voice and then all the amazing things that she can do to communicate to the world um, about her, you know, wants and needs and how she feels. And, um, so it incorporates emotions and, um, you know, basic needs in there and, uh, friendship, school, community, those kinds of things. It was just really important to me that there's more av- advocacy and more awareness of kids that are nonverbal and there are kids that are nonverbal that aren't on the spectrum too. So it's not just limited. The book is really not even about her being on the spectrum, so to speak. It's more about that nonverbal aspect because I I wanted it to be applicable to as many people um, as possible. And there's so many different kids that have um, medical things or other uh, challenges where they don't, they aren't able to do the motor planning and produce speech. And so this is for all those kids out there. And it's for all the kids that are their friends and they go to school with and all the moms to teach their kids that this exists and let's embrace it and see how beautiful it is. And so it's really a passion project um, for advocacy and awareness for kids that are nonverbal in general. That's awesome. So you are just speaking my mantra right now. Our mantra for 2021 is normalizing differences is that we really as a community, and I don't mean just, you know, my community up here in Washington state and your community down in Florida, just across the world, we need to be normalizing differences. And the best way to do that, that I see is number one, provide, do exactly what you did. You wrote a book to help normalize your daughter's communication style so that all of a sudden it's not different or weird or unusual usual. Um, it's something that is so normalized that every child in America is completely comfortable with the fact that some individuals use AAC devices for communication and can use it functionally with them. And so again, one of the wonderful models out there that we have is, you know, inclusion education models across the United States. You're on the East coast. So you guys are a lot more progressive than us here on the West coast. Um, but this inclusive, um, education model is something that's really lagging, um, behind uh, on the West coast, specifically in Washington. And the thing is where you can start normalizing these differences is when we start having one classroom for our highest learners and our lowest learners and everything in between, and we can effectively teach and support and, you know, get those highest learners to advance even more. And we can get our, our lower learners or are not functional, like that may not have functional language, still learning at the same level as our highest level learners, because it can work. There's models across the United States where that inclusive model works. But what you're saying is exactly when we're doing that, we're normalizing differences. We're teaching all of our quote unquote neurotypical kiddos out there that we can be friends and support the individual differences of everyone, whether they have autism, they have cerebral palsy, they have ADHD, they have Down syndrome. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And then what happens is when we start normalizing differences with kids, it then hopefully translates to kind of some epiphany moments, maybe with their parents and grandparents, and then it just starts blooming from there. So I think that's a really good point. So I'm so glad that you did that because, um, again, all of these resources help us to support our community and normalize differences that then can just be so commonplace. We don't even think about it anymore, but until we have someone that spends the time to do it, um, it's just, it's going to be a gap. It's going to continue to be a gap that exists out there. And 
things become stigmatized. Like we said, you know, a lot of people misunderstand her iPad as, you know, a YouTube video or a game, which is really unfortunate. So I thank you for being a proactive mama and, and becoming a published author now. Congratulations. I've been telling everybody for years, I need to write a book, but I'm too lazy. I'm just too lazy. Um, And I say I'm too lazy. I'm, I'm too lazy because I'm doing my part to save the world, the autism world, um, in a different capacity. So I don't have time. I also tease that maybe when I don't have as many teenagers in my home, I'll have more, more more energy to be able to take on new, uh, adventures and, and become a better advocate in other areas. So tell me a little bit, just real quick. Um, we're going to post a link to, um, uh, Sabita's finds her voice that's written by Stephanie Vavi Lala. So it's per, you can purchase it on Amazon. You can buy it at Barnes and Noble. Um, we're going to put contact or the link so that people can find your book in the show notes so people can find it. Um, and then also another, we'll link some information to your center because I think it sounds really, really exciting. And maybe someday when we're not in COVID world, you and I will be able to meet in person because we are doing the exact, it sounds like we're doing a lot of the same things, but in just different geographical areas. So if at any point Isaac foundation can help you guys navigate some of those things, we've been doing some of these things. Um, well, for years, I'm trying to think sibling support program came along first. And I think this might be our seventh or eighth year, maybe even more than that. Cause I have to be honest with you. I started the Isaac foundation 14 years ago, and it's hard for me to really wrap my head around number one. Had my son Isaac not passed away, he would be a senior this year. And so that is just like blows my mind. And then when I look on my walls of portraits of some of the kiddos that I started working with back in 2007, they're young adults now. And it's just as amazing to me. And some of those kids have been, you know, accessing our programs for a long time. So it's just, and their siblings have too. So, um, if we can be of any support to you guys, I am, you know, and, and any, really anyone that's listening that wants to make change in their community, I'm sure Stephanie, I speak for you as well. We want to be a resource for people to be able to hopefully utilize some of our programs or take those ideas and concepts and be able to apply it into your own community, because together it takes, really passionate moms and dads and even grandparents and grandparents, <laughs> aunts and uncles and what, and teachers out there to really start putting our heads together and seeing where there's gaps or even where there might be programs that exist, but maybe they need to be changed a little bit so that they can be more functional. Because again, sometimes these programs are made by people or they've just been around for so long that they don't take into consideration that there's maybe some differences um, and changes that need to be made so that they can function better. So, you know, kind of, you know, there's lots of different programs that are out there, but uh, the nice thing about you and the nice thing about me is that I'm the founder and executive director of, of Isaac foundation, and you're the CEO and founder of your organization. So it makes it a little bit easier to pivot and shift when we see that there's a gap and a need that's, that's, that's necessary. So, you know, it sounds overwhelming for those that might be listening. I always told people, People that people ask me, how did you start the Isaac Foundation? And I said, I started out with, um, I called it the magic notebook back in the day. I'm going to show you. This is not the original magic notebook, but it's kind of similar. The first one was brown. I still actually have it. And it's all, all filled up with all the different check boxes and different things like that. But I started out with a notebook, would write kind of those gaps and those like, if only things were, this was available, or if only that was different. And then I just started one small step. I just started started taking one small step forward to try and put together something that, you know, was tangible. And so if I would have looked at that point of 
the big picture, I think I would have been so overwhelmed. I would have went running and screaming. Like when I listen to everything that you're putting together and you're launching, I'm like, oh my gosh, like you are just such a go-getter, but you know, you're an entrepreneur. And so really the key to being a good entrepreneur is that you just, it's, you just take one step at a time. You know, you put one foot in front of the other and you just start prioritizing it. I've got a huge mess on my wall over here. This is my next product. Um, Anna's probably cringing because she's got to take all of that. That was just, you know, my Thursday, Friday, Saturday um, work session. Um, but she got to take that and actually put it together into something beautiful so that I can, yeah, you know, start executing it. But I just want you to know, I really appreciate what you do and what you're moving towards. And like I said, I want to stay in contact with you because I'm really excited for this to get going because like I said, this is so necessary. And so I just think you're such a special, passionate mom and Sabita is so lucky to have you. I always say I'm lucky to have her. And I just want to mention um, also that 10% of the proceeds from the book go to my nonprofit called Sabita Speak. So I had developed a nonprofit um, years ago when I realized that like a lot of kids that were nonverbal could not afford a communication device. And I was like, this is insane. Like how should any child in the world (laughs) go without being able to have a voice? And I was like, this is, this is horrible. This cannot happen. So like you said, sort of just like small little steps. I was just like, let me go online, start a, you know, a nonprofit. Let me start and get some local people. Let me find some kids that need services kind of thing. So we started sabitaspeaks.org as our nonprofit. We are trying to really also educate and work with insurance companies that I think it's a tragedy that they're like, oh, you can't walk. Here's a wheelchair. Oh, you can't hear. Here's some earring aids. Oh, you can't talk. Sorry. It's like, no, what do you mean? Like that's a disability. Why can insurance not even cover for a kid to have a voice? Like to me, I I seem like I'm in an alternative universe, even like thinking that that's, you know, possible that our kids are like that. So that's why we started that nonprofit. And this book is just a part of that, that, you know, when people purchase it can help um, get some more funds and get some more of these kids that don't have a voice to be able to have a voice, whether they're on the spectrum or not. It is wonderful. My other, since we, you brought up the insurance, um, (laughs) get on my soapbox for a moment. My son, Caleb, who's now 13, who is on the autism spectrum. So, you know, Isaac was on this side of the spectrum and Caleb's like on the other side, but Caleb has a significant, a moderate, well, moderate, I will say moderate, uh, expressive receptive language processing. So, you know, he's conversational and is very verbal, but you know, when you have more stress, more anxiety, more demand, more social expectation, you know, his ability to receptively process language and then expressively communicate um, his needs, wants, ideas, other important information starts to diminish. And so at 13, he still has a speech pathologist that works with him. And guess what? Insurance doesn't want to cover anymore because they feel like, oh, well, you're 13. I mean, really, actually, at seven, they were wanting to cut him off. And we've had to constantly appeal with insurance that he still needs, you know, to have access to speech services. And so the amount of documentation and specialists that I have to get, you know, letters of medical necessity from to show why my child at 13 still needs speech language pathology services. So I'm with you too. I mean, it goes for our kiddos that don't have a voice because my husband son Cooper, who actually today is his 18th birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Cooper. But he's not functionally verbal. And so he does have a communication device, although um, so he 
actually uses language more in like with echolalia. So you have to really listen to how he uses echolalia, which is and for those that may not be familiar with that term, echolalia is the parroting and, or, you know, or, you know, restaying what he's hearing. So instead of using spontaneous language, he just repeats back what he hears and it can be immediate or it can be delayed. You know, so he does have a communication device, but he tends to want to get it on YouTube and listen to like engines revving instead of actually using it. As <laughs> so that's kind of a little bit of a challenge, but, um, you know, you the guided access, you can call, oh, believe me, <laughs> he knows how to get out of that too. <laughs> also as many kids as we have, then he'll go and find someone else's device that he'll then try and hack into so that he can then get to the things that he wants to actually get access to. So it's just an ongoing adventure that we have in our house, but right. yeah. And so when you start doing the guided access, all of a sudden his iPad is a lot less exciting and then he's always looking uh, for everybody else's devices. So, um, and this is speech therapy with like a nonverbal child. They're like, well, they're not talking. They're not talking why do they need speech I'm like are you kidding me (laughs) did that really come out of your mouth like I think you need to go back to school what do you mean it's okay well they're not walking so let's just not even have physical therapy like I was just um I just had um got together with uh Dr. Lori Thompson who's a research professor at WSU last week and she was asking me how Cooper was doing and I was just like oh well you know like pretty much everybody's given up on that speech language piece because you know, he's still not what they consider to be functionally verbal. He has lots of, you know, um, you know, utterances, but it just doesn't make sense in context unless you know him. And then his echolalia has, you know, you know, when he says X, Y, and Z, that means probably one of these four things. Um, and one of her frustrations is, I mean, she's a research professor. I mean, speech, I mean, she has her PhD and she's just saying, it's so frustrating that we live in a world where, you know, people undervalue speech services for even Cooper. I mean, he's 18 today and she's says, I still really feel like we could make a lot of, um, he can make a lot of progress, but again, you get to a certain age. And another problem that we have too, is that a lot of providers don't have the expertise to work with our older kids. So it's like, once they're, you know, in elementary school and you kind of get to that fifth, sixth range, uh, you know, age range, I see speech language pathologists just, Oh, you know, like my age range, you know, is here. And so then when you start getting into high school, let alone high school, you start seeing fewer and fewer fewer speech language pathologists that actually are willing to dedicate that time because, you know, um, you know, Cooper is resistant to using his device for communication because it's just, you know, didn't have time for it, I guess. He just, you know. <laughs> right. Well, definitely. You know, that, you know what, you know how to interpret my behavior. I, I, that's what I, I always have these yeah, like, why do I need words, right? Yeah, why in my mind, I'm like, it's because he knows that we know what he means. And so exactly. it's like, why do I need this dumb device when you guys will just be there for the whole, my, the rest of my life to communicate right. for me? And it's like, right. yeah, as much as I would like to live forever, right. <laughs> I haven't figured out a way to do that. So, right. yeah. And I think, yeah, collaborating with speech therapists, actually, my assistant right now is just graduated with her um, degree in speech therapy. And so she's learning about um, the center and she's worked with kids on the spectrum and, and she's like, her heart is like in AAC devices and, and being able to um, have that really be helpful and valuable and motivating to our kids. And so she's actually going to be the, uh, one of the speech therapists at the center. um, And we're really going to try and develop some programs where we have kids that come for speech that they only use devices and they learn to talk 
talk to each other in a way that's reinforcing and in a way that's motivating and in a way that, you know, that they, that they want and that's comfortable for them. But we need more of that. We need more professionals in all disciplines coming together because everybody has literally a piece of the autism puzzle, right? So, yeah. 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 Well, thank you for your time and thank you all for listening for this episode of Isaac's Autism Wild. As I mentioned, we're going to put a lot of these uh, links in our show notes so that you can find the therapeutic expressions down there in Florida. And I'm glad that your weather improved. I can see the sun shining <laughs> in your face. And I know I'm like, ready to get back inside in the weather. (laughs) And for all that that you do now and all that you will continue to do um, to be a light in the autism community and really focus on the strength base and what I like to call the, the awe of it and the wonder of it and the beauty of it. So thank you. Well, thank you. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.